Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This podcast is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. I'm joined today by Debbie Lewis from Milton Keynes in Buckinghamshire, England. Debbie lost her father, Barry Lewis, to COVID-19 in April. He was a fit 74-year-old. His death came five months after she lost her mum, Pat, to cancer. Welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Hello, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. I'd just like to begin by asking you what Barry was like as a dad and as a person. Um, Dad, Barry, was um, he was very much a community person. He, everybody knew him, everybody got on with him. He was also myself, uh, my mum and my dad were both volunteer befrienders for Alzheimer's Dementia Society. They also looked after their other elderly neighbours around them. They were very, very community-spirited. Dad was also a bit of a practical joker, always playing practical jokes. He was only happy if he was making somebody else laugh. And are there any other things that uh, you remember that make you laugh or make you smile? Several dad was always throughout his life, he was the ultimate practical joker. He loved to make other people laugh, and on occasions it did backfire. I think the favourite one must have been, I must have been about 18 or 19, and it was Christmas time. And for Christmas, my mum had wanted a brand new white sofa. So she got this white sofa for Christmas, and naturally then, because she had to redecorate our living room. Well, on Christmas Day, dad trying his hand at baking so he made a gorgeous um, chocolate log and he iced it with butter icing put little decorations on it it looked fabulous he brought it in, placed it on the table and gave me mum the honour of cutting it however what he didn't tell us is that he's actually filled up a sausage balloon full of water iced it with butter icing with the idea that at the moment mum cut into it, it would explode Dad didn't take into account that he's got white sofa and white walls. So mum cut into it and the whole thing exploded on Christmas Day. And we were all covered in chocolate butter icing. It's the first time I've actually seen my dad run. That's brilliant. (laughs) The look on mum's face was priceless. I mean, looking back now, we've joked about that for many years. It was hilarious. But that was the one time it did backfire on dad. (laughs) That's a brilliant anecdote. Can you think of anything else? Yeah, um, him and his best friend Steve, they were both practical jokers and it was always tip the tap. They were always trying to outdo one another. Now, Steve lived down south in Southampton and my dad lived in Cheshire. So we used to take it in turns as families to go and visit each other. On this particular occasion, Steve and the family had come up to us and dad had spent hours and hours he'd emptied out a toothpaste tube 
got one of the baby syringes and filled the entire tube of Primula juice spread. Then put it in the bathroom, knowing that Steve would get up to do his tea. And all we could hear was Steve going, what on earth is this? And my dad just cracked up laughing downstairs. And they were terrible. We couldn't go anywhere without them playing practical jokes. And I think my dad got it from my granddad. Because the one thing I can remember about my dad and my granddad, we'd gone on holiday and we were walking up a long hill. And suddenly granddad's on the floor on his hands and knees and we thought he's having a heart attack. So we all went rushing down. And Grandad, what's the matter? What's happening? And there's Grandad pushing a marble up the hill with his nose, <laughs> just trying to see how far he could get it. Granted, he'd had a few whiskies. We had been in the pub. But I can easily see where my dad got it from. And it was a constant theme throughout our lives. We always, we loved dad. But if dad did something out of the norm, like baking, we were always a little bit suspicious of Oh, you never brilliant, knew what, brilliant memories. what to expect. <laughs> and what do you miss about him most on a daily basis? His sense of humour, definitely. Whenever there was a crisis, he was a very strong person emotionally. And whenever there was a crisis in the family, Dad would always find a way to make a joke or make light of things and just make us laugh. And I think that's I got that from him. Because we'll, we'll always find something to laugh about, even in the worst circumstances. There'll be something that we can have a giggle about. And he's always been one that makes people laugh. So um, you described him as a, a fit and healthy 74-year-old um, who had uh, some diabetes. Um, can you describe how he fell ill in April? Yeah, um, like I said, Dad was a volunteer befriender. He was, as you say, very fit and healthy with very mild diabetes. We're not sure how or where he caught COVID. But when Mum passed away, he became my uncle's carer because my uncle's um, got dementia. And my dad was doing a lot of shopping for him, going out in the community, taking him to the bank, doing food runs. So we think he could have caught it anywhere at all. In my lifetime, I can honestly remember, neither mum or dad ever went into hospital for anything that I can remember in my lifetime. So when dad got ill, he just shook it off. He just thought it was cold and it would pass. And he didn't tell us, the children, just how ill he actually was because he knew we'd only just lost mum. And he was worried that we'd be worried, so we didn't say anything. And he gradually got worse at home. How was he suffering? Um, he'd started off with a mild cold chest infection. My sister had called around to see him. Despite being locked down, she began to get worried, so she took some food over. I noticed he was blue and breathless. She called an ambulance, and that was the last time any of us saw him, really. He went downhill very rapidly from there. So you're at a distance. I mean, he was based in Cheshire and you're at um, a bit of a distance from him in Buckinghamshire. Yeah, I'm uh, in Buckinghamshire. The distance was extremely hard to bear. Bearing in mind, when we knew he'd got ill and got taken into hospital, 
I couldn't go up there to visit because of the lockdown. So my sister was basically phoning me five, six times a day with constant updates. The hospital were phoning my sister. My sister was phoning me. So I think at that point, my sister took the brunt of it. She was kind of the middleman, having to tell everybody else what was going on. I mean, we got to the point where we did set up a WhatsApp group for the family because it was just easier to relay all the information onto a WhatsApp group to tell the family rather than ringing everybody. So when your sister called the ambulance, what what did your dad say? How did he react? Um, his words? When my sister said, I'm calling the ambulance, he just nodded. And my sister said straight away, I knew then that something really wasn't right because dad would normally say, I don't need an ambulance, I'm fine. As they put him in the ambulance, the last words he said to my sister, he looked at my sister and said, I'm not ready for this year. I'm not ready to go. And that's the last words he ever said. Yeah, that, that stuck with us. And were you able to speak to him when he was in hospital? Um, for the first two days, he was able to text us, but he was very breathless. He was able to use his phone. And then as time went on, he was too weak to even text. So the majority of the communication we were getting was coming from the nurses and the doctors at the hospital were ringing us and telling us how he was progressing. And what was the time frame from the moment he went into the hospital to when he, when he passed? He went into hospital. He was in for three days. He had two negative COVID tests, but the doctors were absolutely adamant. The doctors were saying, we know this is COVID. He's got the symptoms. We're going to test again. He rapidly went down worse. He began to struggle to breathe. So they had to put him in an induced coma on a ventilator. Um, He was on the ventilator for 12 days. He was turned onto his stomach. His uh, oxygen saturation levels were continually bouncing around. Then he started to develop kidney and lung failure. And that's when the doctors actually said to us, to be honest, even if he makes it through this, his quality of life will be extremely poor. He will not be able to do half the things he used to do. And we need you to consider the possibility of a DNR, which was quite hard for us because Dad was an active, healthy person. He liked being out in his community. He liked meeting and greeting people. He was an avid caravan and camping club enthusiast. He had been for years. He'd actually been planning to go to Spain with a friend um, in the camper van, which would have been the first time he'd ever been away without mum. So we knew that he wasn't ready to go. But equally, we knew if his life meant he'd have to sit in the chair staring out the window, he would have hated it. He would not want to live like that. So between myself and my sister and my brother, we took the decision that we would go with a DNR because dad's quality of life mattered more to us than the fact that we didn't want to let him go, if you know what I mean. Yes, that's incredibly hard. How do you feel about the the way that he died? The way that he died, um, honestly speaking, I'm not sure because there's been so many different 
conflicting things on the media, things that could have been done, things that have been missed, things that should have been done. There was at one point a theory that the DNRs were being used just to clear the beds. So we've got some mixed emotions about had we carried on fighting, would he have survived? Would he have got better? Or did we do the right thing by agreeing to the DNR? And obviously you didn't have a chance to say goodbye. How do you feel no, about that? No, we were that? very lucky. My sister was with him. Um, and that's only because at the time they agreed for the DNR, my sister actually said, I, I'm not signing a DNR until I've actually seen for myself how bad he is. And that's because at the time the rumours were going round that they were using the DNRs to clear the beds. And the CEO of the hospital was really good. It was extremely rare at the time to allow somebody to be in there with them. But he agreed to let my sister in in full PPE so that she could be with my dad. And she sat with him for about an hour, then took off the PPE, um, came and phoned me and said, no, we have to let him go. It's not dad lying there. Then she put the PPE back on and she stayed with him when he passed away. So mm. at least we had that comfort that there was at least one member of the family with him, which many, many didn't get. How do you personally feel that, you know, that you couldn't speak to him before he went? You couldn't, you couldn't say your goodbyes, you couldn't be with him, beside him, that you, had, that you were in lockdown, you know, miles and miles away? That was extremely, extremely hard. I mean, it's hard to explain how you feel when you're you're sitting in your house knowing that 200 miles away, somebody's switching off your father's life support, that your dad's dying and you're nowhere near and you can't be there. So, yeah, that was emotionally extremely hard. So tell me what happened afterwards. So your, your dad passed. Thankfully, your sister was with him. Yeah, um, dad passed away. My sister phoned me. And I can honestly say I think that was one of the worst moments in my life. I'm the elder sister. I've always been the one that protects the younger ones. And to hear my sister sobbing her heart out on the phone and telling me that dad's passed away, not being able to be with her, to put my arm around her, that was just horrendous. That was just horrendous. And the same with the funerals. When we had the funeral, it was just the three children and the grandchildren. So there was 10 of us. Well, it's hard when, especially with the cremation, when them curtains close, you naturally want to put your arms around someone. And we couldn't. And that was hard as well. We've still not been able to hold a memorial because of the way the lockdown restrictions are. And my dad had lots of friends, family, work colleagues who have been unable to say goodbye to him, basically. It's been extremely hard, yeah. And it's something that, you know, you feel that nobody can really understand unless they've lived it. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's why I set up a support group called COVID-19 Families because I'd had that experience. And I knew that there'd be lots of other people in lockdown that are going through a similar thing. And unless you're actually going through it, unless you're bereaved, 
during lockdown and unable to see family and friends, you really don't understand how isolating it can feel and also how angry you get because you feel guilty because you, you weren't there. You weren't there to support my dad. I wasn't there to support my sister. There was a guilt in that, even though I knew that it wasn't my fault. And then there was an anger at seeing large crowds gathering and people being together. And I, and you think, if you have any idea the heartbreak that the families are going through at the moment, the pain it's causing, you wouldn't be gathering in large groups. You wouldn't do it. So, yeah, it's it's been hard. There's been guilt. There's been anger. There's been a lot of tears. What keeps you awake at night? Do you know, it's hard. I am. I don't know. To be honest. All sorts of things. I mean, I, I'm quite a strong person emotionally. So setting up the groups that I have set up, that helps. But hearing the stories as well, they play on my mind. Stories of other people, things they've been through. Things where it's been missed and it hasn't been. For example, care homes. It took such a long time for them to react to the situation in Clare Homes. So many people died that didn't have to. And there's an anger in me with that as well. But there's a need to support the other bereaved that need the help. And I think at night, sometimes I lie there and it ticks through in my mind. If that was my father in a care home, what would I have done? And how would I feel? Would I be angry at the care home or the government? Who would I? vent my anger towards. How do you feel about the government handling of the pandemic? Honestly, the government handling of the pandemic has been absolutely shocking. I'll be honest. Um, we saw what was happening in Europe. We knew it was coming this way. We should have locked down much, much sooner. We could have saved many, many lives. And then when we did lock down, I honestly think some of the restrictions weren't um, weren't heavy enough. They were too lenient. It should have honestly been a criminal offence to gather in public. It should have been an arrestable offence. Rather than the police offering guidelines, the police should have been able to arrest on the spot because people don't get it. And I think that was just... The way the government dealt with it was just completely wrong it was a shambles it was a shambles the test and trace was a shambles they were too lenient with the lockdown they didn't lock down quick enough and there was zero support whatsoever for the bereaved there is no no helplines no advice for the bereaved no advice on what to do where to go how to sort the funeral nothing the bereaved families are the ones that from experience and from the groups that I run, that are feeling the anger the most at the moment. Not so much the fact that of the inquiry, there is the inquiry, but the fact that the bereaved have been ignored. Nobody's stopped and thought, what can we do to help the bereaved? How can we help them? How does it feel to have lost your father in the way you did, not being able to say goodbye and and in a lockdown and then to have absolutely no support whatsoever in dealing with all of that. How does that feel? It's been incredibly, incredibly hard. Um, there are days when I have good days. I carry on. Um, I do my normal stuff. 
And there are days when I just want to be left alone. I don't want anybody near me. Um, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of focus on the bereavement groups because I think other bereaved talking to each other has been a real help. But it's been every day is a struggle. Um, everyone's going on about going back to normal, normality. There's so many grieving families, nearly 44,000, who are never going to have normality again because they've lost people. And the word, let's get back to normal, infuriates a lot of the bereaved. There is no normal. Not for them. What's, what's the one thing you wish that people understood? I wish people understood the gravity of the losing someone during lockdown and the emotional pain it causes. Then maybe they wouldn't be gathering in such large numbers and they may actually begin to realise that this virus has not gone yet. This virus is still around. The pandemic is not over and life isn't normal. People have to realise that there are people still dying on a daily basis. And the most important message you want to share with the world? The pandemic is not over. Please don't keep gathering in large groups. Until you lose a family member or a friend or colleague of your own, you will not understand what the bereaved are going through. And I hope it doesn't happen to you or someone you love. But please stop gathering. It's not over yet. And just to return to your lovely dad, um, Barry, um, if you could have said goodbye, if you could have spoken to him, what might you have said? I would have said that I will do what I'm doing now, actually. I will do everything I can to make sure that other people who are struggling with the COVID pandemic get help, get support, have someone they can talk to. Mum and Dad were volunteer befrienders. Mum and Dad were very, it was very important that they spoke to somebody and that they um, looked after their community. So I would think if I'd been able to see Dad and speak to him, I would have said, I will make sure people realise how devastating this illness is. I hope you get to, to have that memorial for your dad. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know it's not been easy. I know. Thank you very much, Seth, for talking to me. Okay, good luck, Debbie. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.